This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Good evening, everybody. This is News Talk on your VOCM. I'm Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain on the program today. And we have lots to bring you over the next hour. We're going to start by heading over to VOCM.com for a look at our question of the day for Tuesday, August 8th. Do you agree with the nurses union that steps should be taken to address violence and safety in their workplace, the healthcare sector? Three options at VOCM.com. Yes, no, and I'm not sure. 81% of respondents say yes, they do agree with the nurses union that steps should be taken to address violence and safety in their workplace, the healthcare sector. 12% say they're not sure. 7% say no. What do you think? You can always pick up the phone and give us a call this afternoon. 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. That's 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-VOCM. Give us a call with either your thoughts on our question of the day or whatever's on your mind this afternoon. Again, do you agree with the Nurses Union that steps should be taken to address violence and safety in their workplace. Again, 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-VOCM. Now let's just look at some of the top headlines from the VOCM newsroom this afternoon. A wanted man has turned himself in. We'll have the latest on 51-year-old Troy Gordon of Deer Lake, who surrendered to police earlier today. A shocking turn of events as a 14-year-old boy is charged with second-degree murder in Mount Pearl. Access to primary health care is on the rise, according to the government. Health Minister Tom Osborne reveals that over 40 physicians have committed to work in Newfoundland and Labrador. And get ready for the 2025 Canada Summer Games. We'll have all the details on the construction and upgrades of key facilities here in St. John's. Now, one of those headlines may have really just jumped out at you, is that a 14-year-old boy has been charged with second-degree murder in connection to the homicide of a 65-year-old woman in Mount Pearl last week. The RNC held a news conference on this earlier this afternoon. VOCM's Richard Duggan was there. He joins me now on your VOCM News Talk. Richard, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ben. So, Richard, can you just first recap what we now know? Well, yes. So, Ben, uh, as you mentioned, uh, late last week on Thursday, uh, police were called to the area of Smallwood Drive in Mount Pearl. Um, and at the time, uh, it was two reports of a sudden death. And uh, after consulting with the chief medical examiner, um, they did determine that that death was a homicide. So what we learned today is that a 14-year-old boy has been charged with second-degree murder in connection to that homicide. Um, he was arrested early this morning, uh, just after... After midnight, midnight, I believe, um, at, at a home in Mount Pearl. Uh, so he has been arrested and he was held uh, to appear in court, I believe, uh, earlier today. And that's the the crux of what we know right now. A lot of the other pieces of information that the RNC have or know about this, uh, they're really keeping close to their chests uh, for two reasons, really. Uh, one is that the investigation is still very active and they don't want to compromise the integrity of the information by releasing information that they shouldn't. And also, 
the fact that the suspect in this case, the uh, young boy who has been charged, is underage, which means they can't release his name. Um, so they're, they're really contending with a few things that are going on there. Um, but that is the crux of what we know is that a 14-year-old boy has been charged um, with second-degree murder in relation to what happened in uh, Mount Pearl. The other piece of information that is uh, important to note, um, we did ask if this uh, teenager and the 65-year-old woman who was killed, if there was any sort of a relationship there. Um, and all the RNC could say was that uh, they were known to each other. And again, that goes back to the fact that this uh, the teenager is underage, so they can't release any information that would lead to him being identified. Uh, so all they're saying right now is that they were known to each other. Yeah, pretty standard response from the RNC at this point in an investigation. So, Richard, what is the RNC still looking for here? Yeah, so one of the key things that the RNC is looking for um, is a plastic, uh, a blue plastic recycling bag. Now, they wouldn't give us uh, any details as to what role this bag might have played. Uh, the contents of it, perhaps, uh, could have played in uh, the homicide, but they are looking for that plastic bag. They believe it was discarded somewhere in the area of Smallwood Drive or the surrounding area. Um, so they're asking people that live in the area to check your garbage bins, check your backyards, and if you notice anything suspicious, anything that's there that shouldn't be there uh, to let the RNC know uh, because uh, you know any, any small bit of information that they can find uh, as they continue the investigation into this is important but again that is a blue plastic recycling bag that they are looking for so keep your eyes out for that and as well um, they're uh, continuing uh, their calls for people if they have dash cam footage uh, if they have doorbell cam footage uh, from the area um, around the time of the murder uh, to give them a call and let them know um, because any little bit uh, Ben can can lead you know even if it's something that you think might be insignificant uh, might be a big clue for them as they continue to their investigation so that's really what they're looking for right now Richard we thank you for following this case closely we know the VOCM newsroom will provide updates as they do become available but you've had a pretty busy day Richard it's been a busy news day all in all and you've been covering well everything to, so to, to quote that famous <laughs> song i've been everywhere man <laughs> <laughs> that you have so richard what else have you been up to today yes yeah, so uh, i started the day off uh, down at the acarina and uh the Mung campus here in st john's um as you mentioned in the news headlines uh, we are now just two years away from the 2025 canada summer games so the committee there was basically marking that milestone the fact that we're two years out uh we were at the acarina to sort of see what their plans are for for that facility and uh, as we know uh, they will be closing next month for uh, an extended period of time as some significant renovations are ongoing and uh, then we also went over to the residence area of the university because that is where um, they're going to have uh, the athletes day the athletes village uh, to coincide with the game so we spoke with a couple re representatives from MUN and uh, the Canada Summer Games uh, committee so we'll have some of that audio coming up for you in a little bit here on the program and also, um, then after that and after the RNC news conference, I headed over to 
Confederation Building because uh, Health Minister Tom Osborne says that they're making some pr- uh, pretty significant strides in terms of the recruitment of health care professionals, uh, physicians, nurses. Um, so they uh, held a news conference there just after 1.30 to talk about uh, some of what they're doing there. Uh, we're going to have a little snippet of that as well. VOCM's Richard Duggan, we thank you for all of this and bringing us all of this breaking news from so far today. And like you said, we will have or take you back to some of those announcements that you were out covering just this afternoon. Richard Duggan, thank you for this. Thank you, Ben. So when you hear that there's VOCM boots on the ground, those boots belong to Richard Duggan. We have lots more to bring you right here on News Talk on your VOCM government, giving close to $3 million to artists to go towards the Year of the Arts in 2024. Premier Andrew Fury made that announcement today. We're going to take you back to that announcement in just a few minutes' time. We'll be right back on News Talk right after these. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain today on News Talk on your VOCM. Government is giving close to $3 million to artists to go towards the Year of the Arts in 2024. Premier Andrew Fury made that announcement today. Here's some of what he had to say. The arts features many different forms of expression, including, as we all know, across our beautiful landscape of music, literature, dance, film, television, theater, visual arts, performing arts, and so much, much more. The list is ever-evolving, as art is itself. As a vital part, believe it or not, it plays an incredibly vital part of our economy, but not just our economy, of the global economy. The arts and culture sector generates significant economic activity and returns to the province and creates jobs across multiple sectors here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Incredibly, the creative economy is one of the fastest-growing sectors in the world, enhancing social well-being and contributing to a sustainable economic growth pattern. The arts also plays a crucial role in driving innovation and creativity. I mean, just look around. We're full of it here today. They inspire new ideas and perspectives, encourage critical thinking, and foster, probably most importantly for me, a sense of community a sense of belonging, and a sense of place. They provide a platform for marginalized and unrepresented voices, which all contributes to a more diverse, open, and inclusive society. When the arts are supported, quality of life for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians is elevated. Our society and our culture is elevated. Through arts festivals, concerts, and cultural events, local residents have the opportunity to engage with their inner creativity and connect with others, mentors, supports, fostering a sense of community and cultural understanding. And of course, what a significant influence Newfoundland and Labrador's arts and culture sector is for our tourism industry. During the pandemic, we recognized how important the arts and culture sector was. My government demonstrated unwavering support for the sector as we leveraged economic support for our artists with the Artist Support Program. In total, we put $7.7 million directly into the pockets of artists when they needed it the most. Earlier this year, we further strengthened that support 
went along with Minister Crocker, I announced 2024 will be the year of the arts in Newfoundland and Labrador. The year of the arts will be about celebrating the province's artists and who we are, reflected in them. It will also be about the protection and the critical stewardship of the arts, ensuring that stories, skills, talents, and traditions are preserved in our communities and handed down to the generations to come. It will create a lasting legacy, whether that be through new pieces of art, celebration of old, or new annual events and celebration, or through infrastructure pieces, such as the new mid-sized theater that we announced for St. John's. We want to ensure that our arts and culture sector continues to thrive and prosper into the future. On that note, this morning I am proud to announce that my government is committing $2.7 million to help artists prepare for the Year of the Arts. The Newfoundland and Labrador Arts Council, more commonly known as ArtsNL, will be provided $2 million to establish and administer a Year of the Arts grant program. The program's aim will be to assist artists with the creation and presentation of artistic works for Year of the Arts. The grant will be available through an application process with all artists and arts organizations throughout Newfoundland and Labrador eligible to apply. Further, Celebrate NL will establish a one-time 700,000 arts celebration fund. Organizations whose primary focus is presenting, promoting, or developing the arts in our province will be eligible for this funding, which will support capacity building in this crucial sector. This funding will be provided this year, in 2023, to provide artists with what they need to start preparing for this great year, Year of the Arts. I can only imagine the color, creativity, ingenuity and that will blanket the province in 2024, and the legacies, the friendships, and the bolstered sense of community that will result from all of that effort. Thank you to ArtsNL for their enthusiastic participation in our Year of the Arts program and planning, and to celebrate NL for fant the fantastic work and effort that they've put in to making this a reality. Together, my friends, we are building a modern Newfoundland and Labrador to meet the demands of a modern global economy, and our arts and culture sector is a critical, foundational, fundamental component of that. And that is Premier Andrew Fury, government giving close to $3 million to artists to go towards the Year of the Arts in 2024. And, hey, what do you think about all that? You can call us here on News Talk and let us know, 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. That's 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-VOCM. And if you don't want to call us on this one, you may want to on our next piece. Government says access to primary health care has increased significantly in recent months. Health Minister Tom Osborne says more than 40 physicians have agreed to work in Newfoundland and Labrador since the start of the fiscal year, including some in hard-to-fill areas such as Bonavista, Buren, Carbonier, Clarenville, Grand Falls, Windsor, Fogo Island, and Twillingate. Health Minister Tom Osborne and Debbie Malloy, Vice President of HR at Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services, held a news conference earlier today to discuss the progress. The OCM's Richard Duggan was there. Here's what was said. Yeah, so we're, we're delighted today. Um 
to provide a bit of an update on recruitment efforts. Um, since April 1st, the beginning of the fiscal year, we've been able to recruit over 40 physicians in Newfoundland and Labrador, over 170 nurses, uh, which are made up of uh, uh, LPNs, registered nurses, and nurse practitioners. Um, with the recruitment efforts by the Provincial Health Authority and the Department of uh, Health and Community Services, uh, we've been able to recruit. We've uh, gone on a very strategic and focused recruitment effort. We are working uh, to secure recruitment firms with a global reach uh, who can uh, look to bring healthcare professionals from other countries. Uh, we are working with those individuals now. We've put in virtual. Uh, a, a virtual RFP which should start um, we're hoping as early as September uh, providing virtual primary care as well as virtual emergency uh, department coverage which will help keep our category B uh, facilities from going on diversion. In addition uh, to that we have sites such as St. Lawrence uh, Whitburn New West Valley Bayvert and Springdale where, uh, as a result of some of the recent recruitment efforts, within the next uh, six weeks or so, six to eight weeks, uh, we should be able to guarantee that those sites, at a minimal, will operate nine to five, Monday to Friday, guaranteed for the next 12 months. That's in addition to uh, evening hours that they may be open or weekends that they may be open, but we are guaranteeing at a minimal that those are the hours that those sites will be open uh, for the next 12-month period as we continue to recruit. Um, did you have anything, Debbie, you wanted to add? Um, just wanted to say that we have been uh, recruiting very, um, uh, we've been very focused. Uh, we've been focusing on international as well as domestic efforts. We're very happy to have hired the majority of the graduating classes um, in Newfoundland and Labrador for licensed practical nurses, registered nurses, and nurse practitioners. I believe there's an RFP that is currently um, out in, into the market, and uh, we are looking to, uh, to, to, to bring in additional expertise um, to help us in our recruitment efforts. I think people are looking for a unique experience uh, when they're coming to work with us, so they're, they're looking for a, a, good, um, a good work environment, but they're also looking to have a good work-life balance and to, uh, and to have an experience when they're coming to work with us. Um, so the majority of the nurses that we've hired recently are actually from our graduating classes. Um, there are a few that are also um, from other Canadian jurisdictions, both uh, graduating nurses and some experienced nurses. Um, and we're also internationally recruiting uh, in India in particular is uh, one area that we've been focusing on. So it's, it's an interesting, when you are in the international market, it does take some time to, uh, to actually see the fruits of your labors. And so um, there's, uh, there's immigration, pieces. Um, there's also uh, interview pieces when they, they come to us. We have to assess their credentials with the licensing body. Uh, the changes recently made um, with, uh, with the college actually have been very, very beneficial to try and move that on. So we currently have uh, 18 job offers that are, are out, and we hope to have those folks joining us in the fall. We also have another 40 that are, are ready to go, uh, to go out, and um, we have an influx of over 450 that we're going to be looking at their resumes and assessing them over the fall. 
And that is Debbie Malloy, Vice President of HR at the Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services. We also heard from Health Minister Tom Osborne. Government says access to primary health care has increased significantly in recent months. And I'll put the call out. What do you think about all that? Have you been impacted? Has your access to primary health care increased significantly in recent months? Well, you can pick up the phone and give us a call right here on News Talk on your VOCM 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-VOCM. We'll be right back on News Talk. I'm Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain on the program today. Jolene Grimes up next with your 430 VOCM News. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. Thank you, Jolene. Ben Murphy here sitting in for Linda Swain on News Talk here on your VOCM. And we still have lots to get through as we journey through the tangled maze of privacy and tech innovation. The challenges and potential risks are increasingly coming to the fore. From the advent of AI-driven chatbots to the impending removal of all Canadian news on meta platforms and the security concerns surrounding boarding pass sharing, there is a whirlwind of tech issues to unravel. Here's my conversation with our local tech expert, Kevin Andrews, on Tech Talk Tuesdays. Let's start with Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram. They made the decision that sparked controversy and raised important questions about the future of online news. This decision, which directly impacts how users in Canada interact with news content on these platforms has been met with both criticism and support. So, Kevin, why has Meta decided to remove all news content from Facebook and Instagram for users in Canada? Well, you know, um, Meta argues that news outlets voluntarily share content on their platforms to expand their audience and help their bottom line. I mean, they believe that the premise of the Online News Act, which suggests that Meta benefits unfairly from news content shared on their platforms, is incorrect. According to Meta, you know, the reverse is actually true. News outlets benefit from the increased exposure they receive through Meta's platforms. No. Paul Deegan, president of News Media Canada, argues that this move will harm user experience and devaluate the Facebook platform. I mean, he suggests that without access to real fact-based news created by real journalists, Meta will become less attractive to users and advertisers. And in fact, you know, some companies and even the federal government have already responded by ending advertising with Meta. So interesting fact, though, uh, back in 2021, Facebook temporarily restricted Australian users uh, from viewing or sharing news. But after negotiations, the, the Australian government amended that legislation leaving Facebook to sort of restore news access. So, you know, time will tell if both entities can come to a compromise. And if not, the standoff could set a benchmark for future conflicts between tech giants and governments worldwide. Yeah, and we're already seeing this start to play out. I mean, you see some news stories from even local media outlets here in Newfoundland and Labrador that you can no longer see on Facebook, but it doesn't seem like that's the case for all users at this point. It seems like some stories you can see, some stories you can't. It depends on kind of whose profile you're on. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I did a search uh, this morning and uh, couldn't find anything under CBC or CTV at all. So it really depends. I think they've certainly started it, um, but it, it's certainly going to be a lot more widespread of, across Canada uh, as the next few weeks progress. Our second topic deals with innovative ways to enhance user engagement and retention on social media. And one strategy is the use of artificial intelligence in creating more interactive and personalized user experiences. So sticking with Meta, their report preparing to launch a range of AI-powered chatbots with unique personalities. So, Kevin, can you comment further on the purpose of these AI-powered chatbots that Meta's planning to launch and their different personalities? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, it looks like a primary goal is to enhancing user engagement on all social media platforms. And as a result, you know, these new chatbots are designed to have human-like discussions with users, providing a more uh, interactive and personalized experience. For instance, one of the prototypes being explored as a chatbot uh, speaks, uh, speaks like Abraham Lincoln, while uh, another advises on travel options in the style of a surfer. So this unique approach to AI chatbot personality is aimed at making interactions more engaging and sort of reliable for, 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 for the user experience. And I think, you know, just beyond conversation, these AI chatbots are also intended to serve functional purposes as well. They will provide a new search function, helping users navigate through the platform and find the content they're looking for more efficiently. I mean, in a broader tech industry landscape, Meta's move aligns with a trend of tech giants investing in AI technology. Companies like Apple and Google are reportedly working on similar AI offerings, indicating a competitive and rapidly evolving AI development space. And as such, you know, Meta's forthcoming AI-powered chatbots could be a significant step in staying competitive and relevant in this industry trend. Kevin, finally, it's common to share our personal experience on social media, from meals to wheels. However, there are certain things that we should think twice about before posting. One such thing is our boarding pass. And I thought this was interesting as we are in the summer travel vacation season. And while it may seem harmless to share a picture of your boarding pass as part of your travel updates, this act could potentially expose you to some significant risks. So why is it risky to share your boarding pass on social media? So a new trend of sharing your picture of your boarding pass on social media is causing people more trouble than what it's worth. I mean, some people who have recently shared their boarding pass have experienced all kinds of unwanted hacking into their personal identity. And so, you know, here's why. I mean, believe it or not, the barcode on your boarding pass contains a wealth of personal information. It could include your name, your contact details, your reservation number, your frequent flyer numbers. And in some cases, uh, it may even include sensitive information like your passport number or your driver's license. So uh, when you post a picture of your boarding pass online, anybody with a barcode reader, which is easily accessible online, can decode this information. And if hackers get that information, they can use it to impersonate you, uh, open credit card accounts in your name, and make unauthorized purchases. So some people have even claimed that not 10 minutes after sharing your boarding pass on social media, that their entire family trip was completely changed to a new destination and, without, uh, and, and even with a new departure date. One family even claimed that showing up, uh, they showed up at the airport with tickets in hand, only to be turned away because their flight reservations got changed somehow without their knowledge. And so I think, you know, the bottom line here is while it may seem fun to share your travel updates, uh, including your boarding pass on social media, the potential risks 
far away the benefits. I mean, it's always better to prioritize your privacy and security when using online platforms. And that is our local tech expert, Kevin Andrews, on everything from AI to the removal of Canadian news on meta platforms to security concerns around sharing your boarding pass and photos of it on social media. Now from tech to healthcare, nurses in Newfoundland and Labrador have followed through on their acceptance of a new four-year contract with the formal signing of the deal. The new wage scale, bonuses, and salary increases are good for the monetary side of things, but safety in the workplace is something that will have to be dealt with, says the Registered Nurses Union of Newfoundland and Labrador. The Nurses Union here in the province says every second day a registered nurse or nurse practitioner is making a claim for workers' compensation for injuries sustained on the job. President Yvette Coffey says the danger spreads across facilities, large or small, urban or rural. She speaks with VOCM's Brian Medour. And all we have to do is look at society right now. Um, I mean, every day there's something else on the news, uh, mental health and addictions, um, numbers of guns being seized here in the province. Um, all you have to do is look at that, and all of that flows over into healthcare at some point. And if you're that lone registered nurse or licensed practical nurse or a physician in the clinic, these are very scary um, situations to find yourself in, whether you have a team of 20 around you or a team of one. And what does a healthcare safety, a health sector safety council look like, and what would it do? So we already have, uh, I forget if it's five or six sector safety councils uh, here in Newfoundland and Labrador. One is in fisheries, and that arose because of the number of injuries and deaths that happened in the fisheries sector, also in the manufacturing center um, industry in that. There's also a sector safety council. So when you see a high incidence of injuries, a high incidence of violence in workplaces and that, there are some of the priorities, the top priorities that you tackle. But one of the things in Saskatchewan, and we have met with Saskatchewan jointly, and um, during COVID, they actually took on doing the fit testing uh, for the fitted masks during COVID-19, for not only for healthcare and not only for um, unions and workplaces they represented, but they actually did it within the province of Saskatchewan. So there's a lot of good things that happen. It's everybody at the table. There's resources put into it so that there's actually a strategy and an execution plan for that strategy. I'm flabbergasted by that statistic that a nurse every second day uh, files for workers' compensation. That's astounding. Yeah, that's here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Wow. Do you think it'll ever come to the point, like in the States, where some hospitals have, I mean, you know, like armed security guards? Do you think it would ever come to that situation? Well, what we have come to here is having uh, locked access to uh, buildings. And it's something that we recognize not every single building has the resources to have locked doors, like for the emergency departments, for instance. Uh, But, I mean, we've seen it across this country, Uh, violence um, that flows over into emergency departments, uh, you know, even amongst workers within the healthcare system. I mean, the incidence of violence and intimate partner violence throughout this country And in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, particularly per capita, we have a very high rate of um, 
intimate violence, uh, intimate partner violence. And if you're the person working in an institution and someone comes in, if that door is not locked, you're not only you're at risk, but your coworkers at risk as well. So I think it's a vital thing, and I think we need to come at it from a collaborative approach everybody at the table and coming up with strategies to address it. And Yvette Coffey, I, I trust just looking at your news release that uh, it's not an item that uh, you think can wait until the next round of bargaining three or four years from now. Absolutely not. This is something, like I said, back in 2019, we all came together, uh, frontline workers, managers, employers, you know, RNC, RCMP, uh, government officials, different departments uh, came together and heard from the front line. And that was four years ago. Things have only gotten worse. Yvette Coffey, President, Registered Nurses Union, Newfoundland, Labrador. Thanks very much. Thank you. And we still do have more to bring you here on News Talk on your VOCM, so stay with us. We're precisely two years away from the highly anticipated 2025 Canada Summer Games. There was an update on facilities earlier this afternoon. Of course, VOCM's Richard Duggan was there. We're going to have all the details in a few minutes' time. Stay with us right here on News Talk on your VOCM. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, the Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. And welcome back to the program. Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain here on News Talk on your VOCM. We're precisely two years away from the highly anticipated 2025 Canada Summer Games. Earlier today, media were invited to the Aqua Arena and the Mun Campus to see the site of some of the sites that are going to be revamped for these games. VOCM's Richard Duggan and others were there to speak with Karen Sheriffs, the CEO of the 2025 Canada Games Host Society. We're really excited. We're two years out, which is hard to believe. This journey started in 2020 with the bid process, uh, being awarded the bid process. So uh, it feels like we've already been on a long road, but uh, you know, plans and preparations are really coming along. We are a staff team of 20 now. And host society, large number of, of our, you know, between our board and our various committees now, volunteers from the community are starting to become part of that. Um, so, you know, every day we're seeing new things. We're integrated into various different functional areas. We have 38 different functional areas that we're working with. So everything from planning transportation routes to the whole medical component of the games. Obviously, our infrastructure is a huge component. We need them to host our 18 different sports and many more disciplines that are going to occur. So, you know, a close eyes being looked at for every one of our venues. You know, the Akarina obviously is a significant project and hosting three sports here. We just recently had our National Sport Organization technical leads for the three sports. They're very impressed with this facility. This is really a gem in Atlantic Canada, to be quite honest, of a facility to have the diving and a 65-meter pool, you know, not just a 50. So, uh, you know, next door we have the Fortis Canada Games Complex. Really excited to see that legacy piece of the games come. But, you know, mountain bike, Three Palm Barrens, the mountain bike trail is being developed. You know, you saw Riverdale uh, courts being resurfaced. That'll be a practice venue. We'll see more things to come with Greenbelt, um, Caribou Complex, St. Pat's Ballfield. All, you know, every one of our facilities are getting upgrades, sparks, 
Some have been used for the 77 games, like here at the Ack Arena, but, uh, and then others are brand new to the, to the games world. So lots of plans happening, a very energetic, passionate team behind us that are helping to bring this all together. And, you know, Memorial University, universities are key to Canada Games, to execute from an accommodations perspective, from an entertainment, a quiet space, meeting spaces. And we're really lucky. It's, you know, 2025 will be my 10th Canada Games, and this is probably one of the smallest footprints. And to be able to host seven sports right here on campus is quite, you know, will be an amazing experience for athletes being able to come over, watch their teammates compete, that sort of thing. So MUN has been a huge, huge partner right from the beginning. We're really thankful for the relationship and partnership that we are, that we have with MUN to date and every step of the way as we, you know, we're looking for something new or changing or, you know, everyone's adapting to us being able to meet the standards to host almost 4,800 athletes, coaches, and managers in 2025. So, so you mentioned that this is this is going to be your 10th Canada Games. How does this experience in preparing for the games here in Newfoundland compare to some of the others that you've been a part of? Uh, yeah, well, for me, I mean, it's a real privilege for me to be part of Canada Games. I started my journey in 1999 at the last games that were hosted here, Winter Games in Cornerbrook. Went on to be mission staff, assistant chef to mission, chef to mission for our province, and then an observer for the past two games to help prepare for this. So, you know, to be able to see all these communities across our country host, you know, big, small, Small communities, Winnipeg, one of the biggest ones, and right up to Prince George and Whitehorse and the Yukon. Um, you know, you really start to gain a perspective about what what has worked. What you know, what great ideas can you take from past games? How do you see the community embrace? Um, what did the athletes enjoy? Having that contact with athletes is really, really important for us. Getting their opinion. Does this make sense to you? Would you like to see when you were at a games, how did that work for you? So just being able to draw on coaches' experience, athletes' experience, um, friends and family across the country have been, you know, over the course of 10 games, you know, you can call upon anyone. Give me your opinion on how that worked. How would you like to see that done differently or, you know, that sort of thing. So to be able to kind of draw on experiences, have the connections, the relationships, is really what's a key part of the Canada Games. It's building our community. We can't do it without partners within our community, many partners, venue partners, you know, our corporate world, you know, food services, service providers, that sort of thing. And then we had the same thing across our country with Canada Games Council being our governing body that helps set the standards. But then, uh, you know, just being able to draw on those relationships that have been built over the course of 10 games. So, uh, you know, I think it's an amazing opportunity we have to be able to host here in St. John's, in our surrounding communities, in our in Newfoundland and Labrador. So uh, really excited for the opportunity. And that is Karen Sheriff, CEO of the 2025 Canada Games Host Society, speaking with reporters, including VOCM's Richard Duggan. Media were invited to the Aqua Arena and the Mon campus to see some of the revamped places that are going to be all amped up and brand spanking new for the Games in 2025, precisely two years away to the day. Well, we are just about out of time here on News Talk on your VOCM. 
I'm going to head over to the VOCM newsroom in just a couple of moments for the biggest news package in Newfoundland and Labrador coming up at 5 o'clock with VOCM's Richard Duggan, a wanted man, turns himself in. Stay tuned for the latest on 51-year-old Troy Gordon of Deer Lake, who surrendered to police earlier today. A shocking turn of events as a 14-year-old boy is charged with second-degree murder in Mount Pearl. Access to primary health care on the rise, according to government. Health Minister Tom Osborne reveals that over 40 physicians have committed to work in Newfoundland and Labrador. And a new look for the Community Sector Council will have everything you need to know on the big reveal next Tuesday at Gander's Airport, Gander Airport's International Lounge. So these topics coming up in your next newscast just a minute away with Richard Duggan. I'm Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain on News Talk here on your VOCM. Have a safe and happy day.